0: No trees were harmed in Madison Cawthorn's pathetic attempt to look manly by beating up a rotten tree trunk, but I'm still amazed he didn't break a wrist. It shouldn't surprise us then that he thought a video of his assaulting a paper target with not one, but two semi-automatic weapons makes him a tough guy. His egregious form aside, both punching and shooting, it's become a truism that politicians on the right think that pictures of their destroying inanimate objects with weapons of war are compulsory campaign material. But what is it with the goddamn Christmas cards? It's heartwarming to see members of Congress post Christmas pictures on social media of their families holding weapons. Rep. Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, kicked off the trend with a Twitter post in which he and six other members of his family are seen holding guns in front of a Christmas tree because those two things go so beautifully together. He did this four days after the mass shooting in Oxford, Michigan, in which a 15-year-old boy murdered five of his fellow students. Because being the worst possible person you can be is a new goal of elected Republicans, he wrote in his tweet, P.S. Santa, Please bring ammo, presumably because Ethan Crumley, the shooter, was looking for ammo on the Internet, which is hysterical if you're a sociopath, I guess. After the fallout, Massey claimed that bringing together guns, family and Christmas adds up to freedom, which suggests he doesn't know what any of those words means, but it triggers the leftists. No pun intended, I'm sure. So that's all that matters. I'm going to double down, he said. I'm never going to delete that picture, which is increasingly a tactic on the right. Never admit you're wrong and double down on your wrongness. Lauren Boebert was among the first to show support by posting a picture of herself in front of a Christmas tree with her four terrified-looking, heavily armed boys, two of whom looked to be under 10. Last night, a gunman went on a shooting spree in Denver, Colorado, killing four and injuring three. Oh, well. It wasn't on the front page of any online publication, outside of Colorado, anyway. I'd seen the news on Twitter in the middle of the night and had to Google it this morning. It's awful, but it makes sense that these events, which are commonplace in America now, would fail to stir most of us anymore. An armed society is a polite society, we're told. Although this sounds like the motto for the NRA, it was written by Robert Heinlein, but it was not his sentiment. That belonged to a fictional character in his novel, Beyond the Horizon, for whom he wrote the dialogue. It was never meant to espouse the idea that guns are the solution to making us more peaceful and loving towards each other. That's a logical absurdity. But it suits the narrative of those with the guns. And in America, that would be about 81.4 million adults who own a jaw-dropping 390 million guns. Yes, there are more guns than people in the United States about 120 firearms per 100 residents. It's easy to get your way if people will avoid confronting you because you could blow them away. And increasingly, if you're a white guy, you can get away with it. 31 states in this country allow people to carry weapons openly without licenses or permits. That explains all of the pictures of heavily armed guys in Starbucks and grocery stores. They actually think the guns make them look strong. But who needs an AR-15 to buy Pop-Tarts? What's the corollary here? I live in New York City. I take the subway at night and walk home in the dark. Does the absence of a firearm make me a snowflake? According to Everytown research and policy, there have been at least 149 incidents of gunfire on school grounds in 2021. Altogether this year, there have been over 470 mass shootings. We know that most Americans support gun safety legislation like background checks and closing gun show loopholes. In Michigan, a red flag bill has been proposed, which will keep guns out of the hands of those who pose a danger to themselves or others. In that state, 78 percent of Democrats and 64 percent of Republicans support these initiatives. But the will of the people goes by the wayside when Republicans time and again can gerrymander themselves into permanent minority power. According to the Trace, an organization that investigates gun violence in America, gun reform efforts in Michigan are negatively impacted by severe gerrymandering, which has increasingly become synonymous with rigging. Trace reviewed Michigan election results from 2012 onwards and found that Democrats have won the statewide popular vote in all five Michigan House elections. In 2014 and 2018 state Senate races, Democrats also got more votes. Despite this, The GOP has controlled each state chamber the entire time. I think about the excruciating and unceasing pain carried by the parents of children needlessly slaughtered because we as a society have failed to protect them. I wonder at the unimaginable strength of some of these parents who not only endure but go on to fight the dark forces of the gun lobby and those gun fetishists who believe it's perfectly acceptable to sacrifice our children's lives on the altar of their vaguely articulated and poorly written Second Amendment right to be an antisocial thug with a gun. They seem hell-bent on creating a society in which it's almost impossible for us to enjoy our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." When you're forced to negotiate with people who never operate in good faith, as Democrats always seem to do, you must always stake out a position on the extreme end of the spectrum that's diametrically opposite from theirs. It is the position of every elected Republican that all people should have unfettered access to every kind of gun in all places at all times. The Democrats' opening bid, therefore, should be that nobody should have access to any kind of gun anywhere at any time. That's what I believe. One of the tragedies of modern American politics, however, is that the Republican position is considered unexceptional, while mine, which is publicly embraced by no elected Democrats that I'm aware of, would be considered insane. And I am so tired of it. It could take me hours, literally, I'm not exaggerating, to introduce my next guest. Um, So instead of taking the time to introduce her properly, I'd really rather just get uh, straight to the conversation. But first, I just want to say it is um, Martina Navratilova, in my view, the greatest tennis player ever. Uh, And maybe we'll talk about the whole goat thing. Maybe we won't. But (laughs) based on my criteria... Anyway, uh, she is indeed. Um, not simply because of her brilliance as a singles, doubles, and mixed doubles player, but because of the impact she had on the sport, um, both in terms of athleticism, but also politically. And we'll definitely talk about that, but also because of uh, the rivalry she had with Chris Evert, which is not the greatest rivalry in women's tennis. It's not the greatest rivalry in tennis. It is the greatest rivalry in all of sport. So without further ado, hi, Martina.
1: Hi, Mary. Thank you. You are very, very kind and slightly biased, I think, because we're like close to the same age. I'm, I know I'm older, but close enough. And anyway, thank you. Appreciate yeah.
0: it. I, I don't think I'm biased at all, but um, <laughs> I am, I'm incredibly happy uh, to have you here for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, But I I did want to start a little bit talking about tennis uh, because it is the best sport in the history of sports (laughs) in the entire universe. And I think um, there have been some things happening in the world of tennis uh, that sort of transcend sport that I think we kind of need to grapple with too. And as somebody who is kind of in the pantheon of people who really did push the sport in a direction it needed to go in, in terms of it's being accepting, in terms of it's embracing politics when necessary. Uh, I'm just wondering how, how you uh, see the world of tennis right now.
1: Mm. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say if you hear some weird sounds, it's not anybody getting hurt. I have five parrots in the near vicinity in this room and I also have dogs so if there's barking you know what that is and if there's some really weird noises it would be the parrots Anyhow. I have an African
0: grey so I completely understand
1: one, one of them's name is Pushkin and he has an uncanny ability to start screaming when I'm on a Zoom call so chances are he'll make himself uh, hurt anyway um, you know tennis it's amazing these days because of the situation with Peng Shui, right the, the Chinese tennis player Who's a three-time Olympian, uh, was number one in the world in doubles. Um, I've met her many times uh, and watched her many times and we know the situation what uh, with her accusing a, a, a former high-ranking uh, communist party official of sexual assault. since she was in a relationship with him years ago and then again it kind of restarted. Now she's denying all of it uh, Tennis World has been very concerned about her because, uh, for obvious reasons, when she tweeted that uh, or, or put that story on Facebook, it was scrubbed, no, not not Facebook, a Chinese version of Facebook, uh-huh. it was scrubbed within 30 minutes and then pretended it never happened. Now she's saying it never happened. And of course, it's all coerced, right? Because right. there's no freedom there. And uh, we're still all very uneasy, but the WTA took a very strong stance on her behalf and you know, tennis has always been on the forefront of social change and, and doing the right thing when it came to social issues, and this is this is perhaps the biggest one. Uh, I, I mean, we were behind Arthur Ashe when he contracted AIDS through no fault of his own, but nobody contracted AIDS really through fault right. of their own, right? Exactly. Um, and tennis was very supportive of the gay and lesbian community uh, always. Uh, dance is a really democratic sport. It doesn't matter where you're from, uh, what religious affiliation, gay, straight, n- none of that matters. It's how will you hit the ball. So I think maybe that's why, you know, you don't get ahead by knowing somebody or being friends with somebody or being f- or being rich. You get ahead because you're better than the other guy. So maybe right. because of that, we've also always been kind of on the forefront of social change, um, a little bit slower on the racial issue, but still ahead of most sports, Right. Right. And and this thing as I think has overshadowed everything else because uh about I think about one third of WTA's revenue comes from China. We maybe over invested on over yeah. there, uh over committed. Yeah. Uh, but whatever it, you know that happens, sometimes you buy a lot of waterfront properties, and then the market bumps, and you lose money even on a waterfront property. Right. Uh, it was just the wrong kind of investment. but uh, the WTA took a really strong stance, and it really is trying to pull the other world tennis uh, organizations along and they they have not they have not backed us up. ATP did not back us up uh, the men's, the men 's association. Uh, the IOC forget about it. Um, NCAA, uh, the major league sports, you know, they count out to the Chinese, right? When the, uh, I think it was the general manager of the Houston Rockets that tweeted something about Hong Kong, and and they had to excuse, ex, uh, make excuses and 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 uh, ask for forgiveness of the Chinese uh, ruling party, etc. It's all about business, and you don't hear, you know, the top athletes. Um, that have big endorsements really talking about China that's one subject they stay away from. they're great on so many issues, but that one nobody touches because you know it kind of hits them in the pocketbook so the, the fact that WTA took this strong stance, I mean I, you know my head is off to particularly Steve Simon, the, yep. the CEO and and everybody else there um, that took a hit and uh, takes potential hit. The players as well have been so behind Peng shui it's been really heartwarming to see that.
0: Yeah, and uh, thank you for laying that out so well because I'm sure a lot of people maybe aren't aware of right. what's going on um, with China in general and Peng Shui in particular. Um, and I was also very hardened by what the WTA and Steve Simon's position is because I, not that it would be under, uh, acceptable, but it would have been understandable hmm. for them not to right. given as you said nobody else has taken such a strong position and it seems to be um it seems to me to reflect two things that go on in the larger world one is that women's women in general just aren't as important um you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. and she's also um in America, <laughs> would be considered a woman of color because we're hmm. America. And also just the the sway money has, uh, not that that's new, but it does seem, with increasing wealth inequality and the fact that we're letting the rich get so much richer, it seems to be uh, reaching a point of no return. Hmm. And I just think that, if we could put things in perspective and get more organizations, because seriously, what is it really just money is, is that is that all that people are worried about, and the fact that um, i mean i get I get why tennis wanted to go into the Chinese market. Um, Lina, the brilliant grand Slam champion from China, definitely helped. That and you know maybe maybe part of the calculation was that the political situation was fluid and there might be an opportunity to to open things up, but uh, clearly there was also an economic incentive because um, it is such a huge market, which makes what the WTA did all the more impressive. But then we get to the IOC, and they they know what they were getting into, so mm. the fact that they aren't willing to defend an, a three-time Olympian who is completely, I, I'm guessing, I mean, uh, I think we we have a pretty good idea of what's going on, completely isolated and probably not going to be leaving China anytime soon. Um, you know, the IOC is actively complicit yeah. in that horrific, horrific situation. And I actually, had have to be honest, I, this, to me, kind of reinforces a belief I've had for a while that the, the women, that women's tennis is better off without men's tennis. Without? Men's to, tennis. Men's no, ten- without men's tennis.
1: You know, we've been trying to get together with the men for decades now to yep. form a, one association, one union, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. So that we have more bargaining power when it comes to the majors, uh, because when you put the money together and what normal tournaments have to put up, prize money-wise, and the risk they take, and how much percentage of that goes to the players, which is about 25% compared to the majors, which is five to 10%, the players should be getting a lot more money for winning these these majors. You know, yeah. I mean, the money has gone through the roof compared to what it was 20 years mm-hmm. ago, 30 years ago, but it still is lacking. And so the women have been trying to get together with the men, and we're like, not, and the men like, I'm no, 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 we're good, we're good. And the fact how wimpy that response was on this front was really disappointing to me, but not surprising. Uh, but anyhow, yeah. uh, maybe we are better off uh, not not with men, and maybe I, 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 I like those combined events. I wasn't sure it was yeah. such a good idea because women always get pushed aside. Yeah. But we made sure that we get treated equally, equal prize money, equal representation, equal time on the, on the major courts, et cetera. So everything's equal there. Um, and, and overall, the, 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 the crowd seemed to really enjoy it. They're, they've become the biggest events on the, on the, on the calendar. Well, that's of- the thing.
0: It, it, it demonstrated the fact that women's tennis is the draw. Right. Right? Generally speaking. I mean, obviously, if you have Federer playing at all. Right. Okay. But overall, women's right. tennis is the draw. And that's the part that I find, well, I was going to say mystifying. What am I, an idiot? (laughs) Of course it's not mystifying. But it it is, after all of the decades of Mm. activism, um, it is quite something. And that I just want to go back to this briefly because I think it was, you know, obviously the Gang of Nine was a huge turning point um, and the whole Virginia Slims movement, sorry about the smoking, but other than that right um I really do think that uh your the way you transformed yourself as a player and the the um, seriousness with which the sport, especially on the woman 's side, took uh pushing, uh, the envelope in terms of athleticism and fitness and stuff. And then like one, to you know, I, you're not much older than I am, but when you're eight, nine or 10 years is like a huge difference. Right. So <laughs> you and Chris Everett seemed like you were a totally different generation. And of course you weren't, but, um, you know, I was a kid and you were professional athletes. So to me, it was, it was watching how you pushed each other Mm-hmm. And transformed each other's games in a way that i don't think would have happened and uh that is as far as i 'm concerned like one of the probably the primary reason why why women's sport evolved uh the way it has mm. and um i'm just wondering if you you um over the course of that incredible rivalry, if you experienced it that way and and saw how you know the two of you kind of helped uh, push each other, shape each other's games, uh, etc.
1: I, I think we didn't realize what, how special the, the, the rivalry was until well into it. Uh, I remember at the very beginning, my very first match I played against Chris. I just wanted her to remember my name because I was a nobody from Czechoslovakia, and she was a superstar already. Um, and then I remember several years later, I had beaten her a couple times. I was I started out the rivalry about 18 and two holes. I beat her twice, and she beat me like 18 times before I started winning more. But, but uh, still, she was always talking about her rivalry with Ivan Kulakong. I'm like, what about us? Uh, what about me? I think, you know, we, we got a pretty good rivalry going, but I hadn't beaten her enough, I think, at that point for her to pay yeah. that much attention. <laughs> uh, but in any case, neither one of us knew how special it was until maybe we played each other like 30 or 40 times. It ended up being played each other 80 times. Right. Um, but we definitely pushed each other to be better tennis players. Uh, I knew I had to get better if I wanted to beat her because she was better. Yep. Uh, more, more consistent. And, and I just needed to get better somehow. And, uh, and then when I started beating her, uh, at one point I beat, I beat Chris 13 times in a row, she knew she had to do something different, uh-huh. uh, because she was never going to beat me again. Uh, wow. and she did, she got in the gym and she got stronger. She got fitter. Uh, not that she wasn't fit, but just, you know, quicker and, right. and stronger more, more than anything. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, was experimenting, did some different things on the court as well. And, um, and then she did beat me uh, a few times uh, after, after she started training differently. Um, and so we made each other into better tennis players. So we might have one more without the other. Uh, for sure she would have, and I probably would have two. Um, but um, overall we made each other better tennis players. And that's what I was, I was always striving for, to be as good a tennis player as I can be rather than going for titles. The titles were great. But I really enjoyed the process, and I enjoyed trying to find ways to get better as, a, as an athlete, as a, as, as a thinker on the court, uh, technically, tactically. I think you hear the whistling. It's one of the small parts yeah, I do. Um, and so uh, it, was, it was kind of a you know blessing and a curse. <laughs> the yes. blessing was we made each other better, but the curse was that we would have won more without the other. But uh, that's how it goes. But it's, it's special. In fact, I just texted with her today. So we're still close. She lives in Boca. I'm in Miami now. But we see each other frequently, and um, you know, have a great time. And there is a trust that we have that I will never have with anybody else. Maybe Pam Schreiber, uh, mm-hmm. a really close friend on the tour as well, played doubles with Pam for ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a trust that 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 is just different, you know, when it's when it's your competitor as well as a friend and um, and and peer. So it's it's pretty special.
0: Well, that that was one of. Uh the transformations in the relationship that, you know, obviously from a distance. um, And back then, you know, I saw four tennis matches a year (laughs) because only the grand slams were televised. But I went to school in Forest Hills and that's, you know, uh, the US Open was still there on grass. Um, And then I grew up in Queens, so it was still in Queens when it moved to Flushing. Um, But it was this, you went from being... um, Rivals purely to being rivals and friends, and that added this incredible element to it as well, because I think it you guys modeled the the idea that you don't even though tennis is is a lonely sport um in a lot of ways, it's just you, there's nobody mm-hmm. else to count on the other side of that. It doesn't have to extend after the match is over, like you I can know. be fighting somebody to death on the court. But then after you shake hands at the net, you can actually be friends and you guys develop because who else was at that elite level? Who else could understand that, inhabiting that's right. that? Right?
1: Yeah. And also again, I don't wanna you know say fuck the patriarchy, but <laughs> but it's Mona Elta, how he says so eloquently. Um <laughs> When it comes to being competitive, if they talk about Rafa Nadal, oh, he's so competitive, it's a plus. And when they talk about me, oh, Martina, she's so competitive, like, it's a bad thing. And Mm -hmm. the same thing with with Rivals, they were trying, the press was so trying to get us to go like this at each other. They were trying to create something out of nothing. Or if there was a little something, then they blew it out. And we ended up making a pact with each other when some of those things just blew up. We had our, some difficulties, but overall, we always got along and always had respect for each other, et cetera, and empathy for each other. Uh, but when things finally, there was, I don't even know what it was, but things got out of hand. And we made a pact with each other that we would never make a comment on what the press said the other one said. <laughs> Only oh, we would wow. speak to each other first, and then we would comment. So that it came straight out of horse's mouth, so to speak, and and uh, not he said, she said, bullshit. And, yeah. and so we, we did that, and we knew better. And they, they try to do that with the, with the women. They don't try to do that with the guys. And Never. it was, you know, the old women are catty and they can't be friends. Yes, we take things more emotionally. Yes, it's more difficult for us to forget about the match and go have a beer afterwards. But but we proved that it can be done. And, um, you know, I, I kind of come come from old school, so I was always that way. Chris had a harder time with it. But at the mm-hmm. end, she was able to do that, too. And. Um, and we were better for it, you know? So yeah, there's a net between us, but what I did not appreciate when I was still playing until after I retired and I started doing TV, and I'm waiting there for the players to come out of, just the old court one at Wimbledon, they come out of the tunnel and they come on the court, well now there's a tunnel as well, and it was this gladiatorial feeling that you had, you know, one, one on one, this mano a mano, except nobody hits each other. <laughs> But it was very much like a boxing match because you only can hit great shots if the opponent makes you hit great shots and you react to what they do. It's definitely a one-on-one situation without without it being physically, you know, one-on-one like boxing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I didn't recognize that until I was doing TV, what a a one-on-one it really is. Uh, And that's why people are so attracted to it. But when you're in it, (laughs) I didn't think about it that
0: much. Well, that's interesting because – I, it is quite uh, – it, it's it got to be lonely sometimes though, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, because there's no – there's literally nobody else to problem solve for you. And um, I think when you're, you guys were operating at the level you were operating, that adds a kind of pressure, which I – well, you would know better than I. I imagine that's uh, quite um, – exaggerated now, like with social media mm. and the money and all of that other stuff. Um, so that's why what the, your unique relationship must have helped tremendously. And that's why I think, I, obviously, it's probably not the only reason, but you see that now in women's tennis. You see friendships, you mm. see a kind of respect. Um, and, you know, you hear about the way people know each other in the locker room and and go to each other's weddings and stuff like that and uh I don't I don't think that would have happened without you guys. Mm. I could be wrong, but I think Possible. it's a huge it's a huge plus. I do think though it's an unanswerable question who's the goat. But we do pay now I think the the uh using grand slams as a criterion is is absurd um especially since they mean something different from what they meant when you were playing, uh, Australia wasn't really a thing. Um, but also, again, as you said, how many Grand Slams would you or Chris Everett have won if you had played at different times? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you guys really had any other competition for quite some time. And then you have other, other periods in tennis where it's like Serena Williams for a while. It was all her. Uh, Steffi Graf, same thing So um, I think We need to factor in rivalries We need to factor in uh, Impact You know, the kinds of impact uh, But that's just my opinion
1: Well, you know a lot about tennis That's clear from just what you said now But yeah, for us, the biggest tournaments Were Wimbledon, the US Open And then the season-ending championships the WTA Finals, uh, which Chris won—I don't know how many, like six—I think six times, maybe. I'm not sure. I won it eight times. And so, if you just take on the U.S. Open, and that, and compared to to uh, Serena Williams or whoever else, you know, I think our numbers would be pretty, pretty go- good, on that front. So yeah. again, it was a different metric system. It was a different computer system, uh,
0: right.
1: actually, and they tinkered with it while I was still playing. At one point, I was winning by so much that they had to like. <laughs> Change it so that it would be closer.
0: It's like the mercy rule. In, it uh, really, it literally, they, they,
1: they did that because I was, I, I was so far ahead that they did this thing what they called the 50% diminishing return, which meant that <laughs> after six months, your whatever points you won were only 50%. So oh. that the more recent results would be more relevant. But it still went through the year. So at the end of the year, I may have had much better results than Chris. But mine came the first six months, the better results. Her better results came the second part of the year, and she would be close to number one. Or at one point, she took away my number one ranking um, in like July after winning the French, because of that fifty percent diminishing return thing. If it had not been in in, boat, in play, I would have been number one longer, more weeks. So again, just and I, I don't talk about that, but it's like you you compare, comparing apples and oranges. So. You know, yeah. you, you need to really compare the same to same, and then we can have that conversation. And and if you want to talk again of Wimbledon French Open, Wimbledon U.S. Open, and the season nine championships, and we're we're pretty much close with Chris and, and I and and Steffi and and, and, and uh, Serena Williams. Right. now, what? Then what? Then what happens?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And also, team tennis was a b- much bigger deal.
1: Yeah, we played World um, Team Tennis. Back Chris didn't go to the right. French Open because she played World Team Tennis in uh, Phoenix. Right. Uh, and I played for, for Cleveland one year and then Boston Lobsters. In fact, Robert Kraft was the owner of oh, really? the Boston <laughs> Lobsters team. That was his first foray into professional sports. Oh, wow. Um, and I knew him and his wife and his kids way back. Um, so... You know, we played three months of of tennis with just three weeks off for for Wimbledon, and the week before we did not we did not go to Paris at all. Um, yeah, Jimmy Connors didn't play the French Open a bunch of years as well when he would have won it, and it's the only major he never won. Uh, so again, you know, people say, "Well, go this, go that." It's it's you cannot compare generations. It was completely different upbringing, different training, different everything. Yep. so you can only compare those players of the same era and yeah. um, and you know and 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 know that you are one of the greatest uh as Chris and I both are and of course so is Steffi so is Monica mm-hmm. and of course Serena Williams and 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 I'm good with that you know we don't need to put them in order because uh, every and also I think people really always think the the current ones are better yeah they're better but would they have been better 50 years imagine ago imagine if, if they you were they if that, that game right imagine if you
0: an 18 year old Martina Navratilova started playing tennis or 14 year whatever started playing tennis now with the way training is the way we understand nutrition, the way we understand, right. um, you know, a holistic approach and right. massage and acupuncture and all that other stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, it is it's a ridiculous premise that they keep yeah. every time I see a list, I just roll my eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't make like top three the other day. I saw someone no on Twitter way. were ranking. I think it was Serena, Steffi, and Monica. Yeah, I didn't make that list. So I'm like, okay, that's why I don't talk tennis on Twitter. I mean, I, I cr- really limited to politics for the most part. But the other day, there was some football. A football player got hit, and it was a cheap hit. And I commented on it. You know, it shouldn't have been. He should have been a penalty. Blah blah blah. And the guy says, "What do you know about football? You only talk about politics." <laughs> like,
0: okay. Oh, that's great. And, you know, because usually it's, why are you talking about politics? Stick to tennis.
1: Well, I've been told that too. I've, I've even been told that by some progressives. I forget this guy's name, but he's like, you you, you weigh over your skis. I'm
0: like, really? <laughs> by the way, I'm I a pretty Twitter. skier. so no, I, I'm I, know I know you are. I know. Which is all my
1: skis, but kind whatever. of a weird
0: thing to say. So it sort of like begs the question, who's allowed to talk about politics? on Twitter then? I guess nobody. And might, the thing is, yeah. They
1: don't tell normal people stay out of politics, but they should nope. t- as hell tell athletes, you know, the, the old shut up and dribble famous right. quote by Jenny Impero. I think she said that. Yep. Uh, it's just ludicrous. What? Uh, shut up and talk sing, to me the Dixie about my, were told. About, you know, what I know. Let's, let's talk about the issues, not about uh, who is saying it. So,
0: but th- that's what's so ridiculous. I mean, there are issues. Hmm. I don't need to be an expert in journalism to know that Chuck Todd shouldn't have that job. What's up with that?
1: What is with MSNBC? It's like really. Of all the people, him, I, I, I can't watch it anymore. I, I go, I, I just don't watch. And by the way, I'm missing Nicole Wallace doing this. So that's I love oh Nicole. well.
0: All right, that's that's a huge and I, and because right, we're
1: right. in a new house, I don't know how to record yet.
0: <laughs> but yes, Nicole Wallace. Um, has evolved uh, in a really um, gratifying way. I mean, hmm. not that it's <laughs> any of my business, but, you know, right. somebody who consumes news. Um, I'm always skeptical of people, of re- people who are Republicans. Well, um,
1: Nicole is an open-minded Republican, which is an oxymoron these days.
0: But this, it's totally an oxymoron. And in fact, I think it's impossible. Like, I don't think you can be a Republican if you're an open-minded person. And mm. it also kind of makes me wonder what – like, why were they ever Republicans? Because I get it. Like, it's so uncivil now and um, anti-democratic. And, and, and that's actually something else I wanted to talk to you about, the, this new embrace on the right in America of Russia – and you know that insanity um but a lot of it's not new like being anti-choice being anti-marriage equality um so i do i do wonder um i guess not everybody has to agree with everything and there are you know there are people who are one-issue voters, and there are people who, you know, foreign policy is the most important thing, and they're willing to let the other stuff slide. I don't know, but it has been really uh, great to see Nicole Wallace um, become, I think, in a really a really important voice. And I mean, not that not that she it should be surprising. I just honestly I didn't know of her other than that she worked for the Bush administration, which huh. could potentially be a red flag, um, but. There was no way to know, coming right. in, right? I mean, it's sort of like when you when you uh, when a tennis player becomes a commentator. How's that going to go? You
1: and never sometimes know.
0: it takes. Sometimes it takes a while.
1: Yeah, it took it took me a while, and some never get there. Some do. I I, I did get there, uh, thankfully. Yep. But I had a lot of good help from people that had been in the business, like Bill McAtee, who I work with, and Brett Haber, and particularly Mary Carrillo gave me some great pointers. So. Um, I was in good hands, but uh, yeah, you never know how it's going to turn out. But Nicole, wouldn't you vote for her if she ran for office in a heartbeat? She would be If brilliant. she ran as
0: a Democrat, yes, <laughs> and she would. Like how seriously? Because this is the thing. I don't. I don't know. I'm very eager to know what your experience has been, especially since you live in Florida, which you know mm. um, is yeah, COVID cases. Uh, increased by over 1,000% in Florida yesterday. Um,
1: over Decentes, what In one, one week?
0: Uh, it's over it's the 14 day average. 14 day? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, New York City increased 640% yesterday. I thought that was bad. But then the entire state of Florida, 1,000%. Uh, you know, he wants to put together his own militia, apparently. Yeah. And he thinks he's going to run for president. And you yep. know what? In this party, he probably could yep. um, successfully. So what? as somebody who's always been politically active and activist, um, do you experience this shift as one that makes it almost impossible, if not entirely possible, to make common cause with these people in the Republican Party? Uh,
1: I I, I think, you know, they keep saying, oh, we're so, you know, so far left going socialist and communist. I'm like, shut the fuck up about communism already. No, the, for me, the Democratic Party has not moved further left. I'm, I, I feel like we're the same place we were 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah, it's evolved on same-sex marriage and gay rights and all that. But overall, it, we've stayed the same. Look at the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> look, look at what they're doing with voting now. It's completely – they're the ones that move so far right that anybody left of them is, is a socialist. But they're to the right of Genghis Khan, and that's not easy. Yep.
0: No, it it takes a lot of effort, and they've put it in for four decades, you know, and and pointing out um, voting rights. In 2014, I think voting rights passed 98 to 0 in the Senate, and now zero Republicans voted for it. That's where we are. They know that their only hope here is to— Keep people from voting, which is why they're so actively engaged in gerrymandering. And I'm I'm quite worried. And it must – somebody who came from a communist country, not just came from, escaped from, <laughs> uh, it must make you crazy on the level of uh, – well, maybe not quite – to the same extreme degree. But, you know, I hear similar things from people who survived Nazi Germany, that, that, that these echoes of what's going on and the way terms are being misused and lied about. So as somebody who's experienced it, how do you, how do you make sense of what's going on uh, vis-a-vis the left being accused of being communists and, and uh, the right suddenly embracing people like Putin?
1: It's it's difficult. I, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around and, and, and living here with the Cuba, Cuban community. Most of South Americans, it's not a block, right? The Hispanic or the Spanish speaking, it's not a one block, obviously. But it is true that the South Americans are more likely to vote Democratic, but the Cubans are more likely to vote Republican. And I really can't, I don't get that. But I know that people like Iman Lendl, they were on the right side of politics. Um, and, and some other tennis tennis people, you know, they would vote for Trump. And I'm like, how can you? Because this is a totalitarian regime and uh, it's not communist, but it's the same thing. They're telling you what to do, what you cannot do, and you have to agree. And, and if we vote and, you know, then they, they, uh, they change the tally and, 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 and scream bloody murder about voter fraud and, and try to change the... The vote of the people. The communists did that. Oh, we, you know. Of course, back then you only had one one party to vote for. So you know, right. uh, whoever won with 99% of the vote, because because there was nobody else to vote for. Because that uh, But that's that's kind of the direction we're heading in, into in a dictatorial uh, regime, and 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 the Cuban people are. It's like, don't you realize you're just changing Castro for Trump, but the end result will be the same. The end result is exactly the same, except you can still make money, but you have to kiss ass to make money. Otherwise, you're going to be on the wrong side. And, you know, it's like no different from paying money under the table and and keeping your mouth shut, uh, not speaking against the Communist Party, etc., growing Mm -hmm. up and making uh, political jokes because you would get in trouble. It's no different. Where we're heading now with the burning of the books and and critical race theory. I tweeted today. I said, "Would would Roots be considered critical race theory if they if kids had to watch it in schools now?" And yeah, yeah. I think the answer is yes. They would. They would not want kids to watch that. Rewriting history. I mean, the Russians, the propaganda machine that the Russians said, and then and by by uh, extension the Czechs, you know. Yeah they would make a five-year plan, right? To uh, yep. This is the quota. This is the quota. And, and they would make it blow on purpose. So then when they exceeded, it was like, oh, my God, our workers, this and that. And they just lied about everything. And we just laughed about it because we knew it was propaganda. 90% of the Czech people did not believe it. But the problem is now so many Americans do believe this bullshit propaganda, and they fall for it, and they go down the rabbit hole, and it drives me crazy. I'm like, how can you not see it? How can you not see where we're heading? And it's very uh, frustrating coming here to this country, the land of the free and the opportunity, and and everybody has a chance. And it ain't so, you know. Even even my kids, they go into private school, and it's you know you try to help them up uh, into an internship this and then I'm like, all rigged. It's a big system, and it's, it's 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 frustrating to me that it's becoming more rigged. As you said, the rich have gotten so much richer, and. Um, and, 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 it, and we may have reached the tipping point where the only way out will be just, you know, blowing it up, a revolution or something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, um, it's been very frustrating. Uh, so that's why I, I tweeted. I think I tweeted every single day of Trump presidency once he started running. Um, it was like, you must be kidding. And, and then every time he spits something out, I'm like, OK, he's done now. No, the base grew. You know, the John McCain and the the, the Mexican rapists and all this stuff. It, I'm like, this cannot be. And yes, yet here we are. And now, as you said, Ron DeSantis, you know, he's, he's a mini Trump, except he's got better hair and better brains. <laughs> he's dangerous.
0: Very dangerous. Yes, he's incredibly dangerous. But that's that's the model, though. Yeah. You have to be all the worst things about Donald. And I mean, it's I, I think it's. Unless you're his children, it's difficult to be less intelligent than he is. So whoever it is will be more dangerous um, and more, I don't know, um, acceptable Hmm. to a larger number of people. I mean, the fact that Donald was acceptable is still mind-blowing. I'm with you entirely. I watched – it was like watching a slow-motion train wreck from a distance, yeah. um, which is how I always felt when COVID hit Italy. It's like, you know, it can't be coming. It can't be coming. It can't be coming. Next thing you know, it's like right in front of your face. So it has been quite something. Um, in addition to being called an idiot almost, well, yeah, on a daily basis on Twitter, I'm also uh, criticized for not having come forward uh, in 2015,
1: 2016. I saw that, yeah.
0: But which hey, listen, fair question, why didn't I? Well, what <laughs> it would have been like screaming into the void. He got away with so much worse than what I was gonna say would have been able to say about him at the time. Hmm. Right? Which literally would have been my opinion. Um, you know, I it never occurred to me that anything I said would matter. And I wouldn't have it would not have twenty three yeah. women, right? It would but, yeah. it would have been a waste. It would have been I completely um, agree. Yep, it would have you been didn't have a platform
1: then. You were no, you weren't going to get anywhere with
0: that. I didn't have proof, right? Which is which was the biggest thing, hmm. and that's you know, thankfully, the New York Times kind of reminded me that I did. But it it was that sense that a lot of us shared that it didn't matter what we did or thought or said; hmm. it was just going to keep going, and then it got worse. Um, but then Biden gets elected. Did, did you anticipate, well, first of all, let me ask you, how, what's your assessment of how things are now compared to how you thought they would be after, like immediately after Biden got elected?
1: Uh, I think they're, well, we're certainly better off than we would have been under Trump. Uh, that's a given. But I think he's done a great job on the vaccination front uh, and, and trying to get people to get vaccinated and encourage uh, mandates, I am all for it. No, it's not communism. No, you still are free. You're just not free to infect me. Um, and yeah. um, overall, I, I would give him a, a minus. I think he just didn't get the ducks lined up correctly vis-a-vis the build back better. Uh, it should not have been such a so, so difficult to get it pushed through. Uh, I think they should they went too big ten years, mm-hmm. no, just go five mm-hmm. years, half it, yeah. but still do all the programs and see how well they work, and then you actually can tweak it you know because you don't know how it's gonna work yeah. out, um, maybe even three years, but throw everything at it for the three years, prorate that, and then you can make then you have proof in the pudding this is working, and you can keep ex- ex- extending it, and people would have seen the difference right away now we're we've lost so much time. In getting that passed, and it's still not passed, uh, that even though people are getting those uh, those uh, dis- uh, no, um, uh, unemployment checks and, and mm-hmm. child tax credit and all this stuff, um, there's still it hasn't been enough of that where they can see you know what Biden's really made my life better um, because people were saying Trump made my life better, but when you ask him how, they don't have a they don't have an answer. <laughs> it's all well, in the well. The answer,
0: answer is they, he gave dare. them permission to be their worst selves, and they right. like that. That's, and, that's and also, I think only. they
1: felt that oh, we're on the same side, so I, I, I'm like part of it, you know. I, I'm, I can like touch that greatness, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm part of that. I belong. Um, um Anyhow, but I yeah, think Biden I, yeah. could have gone less uh, and done more earlier. Uh, that's that's my biggest beef.
0: I think maybe he didn't anticipate. Uh, mansion and cinema. certainly not cinema. I didn't see cinema coming cinema? either.
1: What the hell is she to be doing I'm, this crap? She's and serious. by the way, two of the worst states for for immigration: uh, Arizona, of course, and West Virginia. They're like bottom on everything or everything or,
0: education, know, poverty, one in the
1: worst worst way in everything. They're at the yeah. bottom of the barrel, right up there with Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, and they're the ones that that scream the most about government handouts, but they're the ones that take the most money from the government. That's right. Hypocris, they, hypocris they get most more than, than they, they give
0: yeah, it drives me completely crazy, but I think you you hit on something that I think explains part of why we're here. What they can't point to anything. Mm. They just like sort of the proximity to yep. the power. Yep. They like they like being part of the us. Yep. And not, you know, not the them. Um, again, I think one of the most bio- diabolical things Donald did was was instead of when COVID came around, instead of making it us Americans against COVID, he made it us red versus blue. And, uh, you know, only blue states – people in blue states are dying, so who cares? Mm. Diabolical. Mm. But the people who follow him, that's what they want. And also the rights um, – Understanding a long time ago that their only hope in, to cling to power is to make social issues political right and I right. think that's one of the reasons why they still one have a hold and two it's also a reason why when anybody says to me how do you talk to these people I'm like you don't <laughs>
1: Yeah, you can't. I try to watch Fox News, uh, different people, different times, and I literally—I I, I think my record is two minutes. <laughs> I just wow. can't. I can't because it's pointless. Uh, and again, I grew up with propaganda, so I see—I see bullshit from a mile away. But I think it's always been the socialist use They've always made it political. Who, who could forget Welfare Queen by uh, by yeah. Ronald Reagan? And then George H.W. Bush uh, with the, what was it, that, that cr- criminal guy that got out? Willie Horton. Willie Horton. Horton. Hello. I mean, the dog whistle, at least they said the quiet parts. They didn't say the quiet parts out loud, but now they do. Um, right. oh, but um, it's always been that. They, they just used that as a cudgel for people and, and it's like us against them. And the worst part that I saw with, with Trump, with, with, with COVID, it was, well, let's the states figure it out. What the fuck? This is a new disease. We have no idea what, about what to do. And you're supposed to, every state should be in, in it for themselves, figure out the okay. vaccine, figure out the uh, the the, blood, uh, the tests and, and make yep. masks and all this stuff. Are you kidding me? Uh,
0: outbidding each other for ventilators?
1: For the same, for the same equipment. Yep, so the prices go up. So the prices went up. 25000 becomes 75000 per ventilator. Are you kidding? And that to me, and that didn't make any sense because if people can go to work and it doesn't affect the economy, it would have been okay. And he might have been reelected, actually, but he, he t- it, torpedoed himself. Thank God. Isn't
0: that a great irony, though? Hmm. Because I wish COVID had never happened. It's The loss is Unspeakable. Hmm. unspeakable. Not just in life, but obviously that's the worst thing. Um, children losing their parents, parents losing their children, but the loss of just a year and a half, the the unspeakable fear and, uh, you know, if I go to the grocery store, am I going to get my daughter sick? That, all of that that we hmm. live with, um, that it, it makes it, even harder <laughs> to understand why they are fall- continuing to fall for this stuff, hook, yeah. line and sinker.
1: I, I don't, yeah, I, it's, it's not, you can't, you can't explain it. You can't understand it because it's not, it's not logical. And, you know, I'm an extremely logical person. And, um, you know, when emotions get in the way, you can't think straight. And they literally are in that, in that space emotionally, and they don't want to leave. They don't want to be changing their minds. They don't want to be, uh, you know, bothered by facts. And, 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 and here they are. I mean, they're, they're killing their own base. I mean, the numbers right. are astonishing on that front, but they still don't, they still don't want to wear that mask. I
0: don't know. I don't, so coming, I do, yeah. coming from Czechoslovakia and now living in Florida, were you at all taken aback by the turn things took? After uh, the 2020 election and Donald started lying about having won and then January 6th happened, did you think that there was going – that especially January 6th would be a turning point where people would say enough is enough, we cannot survive this anymore, and now things are – I don't know. I, things are worse than I imagined. Uh,
1: I, I did think that. I thought January 6th, th- that that point, I was convinced he was done. He was at his weakest point that week after. But then everybody, first they, they denounced him, Lindsey Graham and, and Kevin McCarthy. And then they switched. And then Kevin goes to bar lago kisses the ring, and everything switches. And, and, and he becomes stronger. Uh, and I did not see that coming. I just didn't see the complicity. And just pure lies from so many people. Literally, when Liz Cheney is the only one, and, and Adam Kinzinger are the only ones that are standing up to this lunacy, it's it's beyond belief and just just disappointing. You know, I always thought if Donald's not the problem; it's the people that were the second sy- sycophants that, that covered for him for so many years, and they're still covering for him. Um I thought January 6th would be the turning point but what what needed to happen for that to have been a turning point Mary I would like to ask you that. did they need to hang Mike Pence for for them to actually go after Donald did somebody need to die from the politicians for them to say you know what this was this was bad we need to not ever do this again what do you think
0: I, I have to be honest I don't I don't think anything yeah. um they have shown time just as Donald has shown time and time again there's no bottom uh they have shown time and time again that they will do the worst possible thing because it was terrible they were in fear of their lives yeah. for 3 hours you could see it it's it's not like they didn't know that they were just going about their business and things were crazy outside they knew yeah They were under attack. They knew that people were roaming the halls of the Capitol looking for them and hunting them down. And Republicans knew it didn't matter that they were Republicans Mm. because, like, how are they going to they're going to identify themselves (laughs) seriously? And I think, honestly, that it's it's the same horror that they keep getting away with it. So why not? You know, they made a calculation, and I don't think the calculation at all was about Donald. It was about um if we follow his lead in this particular instance, can we change the narrative so that we can illegitimately retain power? Mm. And now we find ourselves, I think, and I I'd be interested to hear what you think of this, that that Trumpism so-called has outlive Donald. Like I don't think they need him anymore.
1: No, I agree. They don't. Uh, in fact, they have a better chance of winning without him than with him because he will, I think his mental capacity is getting lower and lower. I mean, his vocabulary is getting certainly narrower and narrower. Um, and I, I think they'd be better off with that around than than a Trump running as a Republican because they got, they got the playbook now. They know what works. They know how to rile up the base and how to keep them and how to keep stoking it and they know they can get away with everything, and they also know they're cheating the system. They're, they're putting it in and gerrymandering. I saw that coming in the 90s with Newt Gingrich. I'm like, they're getting organized. We're gonna bite the bullet one of these days, and, and now the chickens have kind of come home to roost. And I think we're in trouble because they're gerrymandering the hell out of it. What is not gerrymandered, they're putting in their own people into the local elections, etc. And I think even if somehow, Biden would win again, the numbers, they're going to flip it somehow. I think they're going to find a way of legally flipping it, or well, not really legally, but legally Wait. enough where they get away with it. And, and they, even the generals are worried about, about the army. I mean, you know, I, I'm listening to um, Half of the Yellow Sun by um, uh, Ngozi Adichie. Um, I'm re- reading that book. And you know the military. I mean, the coup, the Biafra, Nigeria split. I mean, I mean, it, it, these are banana republics, right? Or they were. Uh, they they didn't know any better. They were still kind of being born, uh, and and the army rules. What's what's happening in Myanmar right now? Right. And we're heading that direction cause, yeah. because because and with the generals are getting worried. You know, the shit is gonna hit the fan. So I'm, I'm really worried about the election. I think they're going to win the House. We might hold the Senate, um, and unless we put Donald in jail and he can't run for office ever again, which is what should have happened a while back, um, you know, they're going to. And even if that would happen again, maybe somebody else would run instead of him, and they learn the lessons and they make a martyr out of him and use it somehow mm-hmm. to their advantage. So I'm very worried. Uh, I thought I was dumb with politics. Once Biden won, I'm like, okay, now we can relax. Not so, so.
0: And that's and your your parrot is also very worried about this as well. Cause that's I would be screaming like that too. <laughs> I am in my head, quite honestly, because it's terrifying. Hmm. What one of the reasons it's terrifying is because if think about it this way. All of these egregious things that McConnell has done, in my view, the greatest traitor to this country since Robert E. Lee, Mitch McConnell, um, denying Merrick Garland a hearing, shoving three uh, illegitimate Supreme Court justices in, all of the things he's done vis-a-vis stacking the courts, et cetera, et cetera, all of those things have been done within the system. Just as, you know, uh, with the Rittenhouse trial, I was— as most sane people, deeply, deeply, deeply upset about it, I thought the judge was a disaster. And a lawyer said to me that in the Rindhouse case, the law in I think Wisconsin is is not, it's it wasn't such an open and shut in terms of finding him guilty because of the law. I'm like, well, then that's a problem because you know what, slavery was legal. Yeah. What Andrew Jackson did to the Native Americans was legal, so. When yeah. your laws don't prevent atrocities. We need, to, we need to change
1: those laws. How come they're still on the books? I mean, just be, that's what I always say. Just because it, it's legal doesn't mean it's right. And this certainly right. wasn't right. We need to change the laws. But, you know, that takes too long.
0: And we're seeing this too with the Supreme – in fact, the Supreme Court has over the course of its history been, been one of the most anti-democratic forces mm-hmm. in America. We're seeing that now. Just because the Supreme Court says it's constitutional doesn't mean it is, hello, SB8 in Texas, right? right. Uh, so it is – another thing that worries me is the fact that I think most of us really did think that we were going to have a respite that, okay, we we dodged, we totally dodged a bullet. Like, how many times in human history do we uh, grab democracy from the jaws of autocracy? I don't think it happens very frequently. Right. But it's not over, because right. 2016, even though I think most people didn't realize it at the time, was the most important election of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? 2020 was the most important election of our lifetime. And now 2022 is, because... If we lose the House or the Senate, I think it's over. I don't like being cynical or pessimistic, but I think it's, I think that's realistic to say. Do you think we have until 2024?
1: I agree, I agree. I don't know if we lose, the House really sets the the tone, doesn't it? And then the Senate approves it. You can't vote on anything in the Senate unless the House brings it up. And uh, and then we have the House, but then uh, Mitch was shutting everything down. It's crazy. It's supposed to be a system that works, but it clearly is not working right now. There's going to be such gridlock, but because Republicans are such bullies, they don't give a shit about protocol, they don't give a shit about rules, they will bend them however they need to, and whenever the Democrats are in power, they don't want to change the rules. I mean, look at the freaking filibuster. It's like it's a no-brainer. What are you still thinking about? Uh, And and again, remember the origins of, of, of the filibuster. So... Democrats play too nice. And I'm not saying play dirty, but just play tough. We can play stand horrible. up to them and say, this is not OK. This is not how, you know, this is what we're going to do because we're in charge. We won the election. You know, when, when Trump won, oh, I have a mandate now because I won by so many votes, the count was the same. And we're acting as if we lost the election. But that's
0: the thing. He lost by three million votes. Yeah, well, there's that. Biden won by eight million, practically. Yeah. And yes, you're right. Democrats continue to play by a rule book that no longer exists because the Republicans blew it up. Right. And the thing about people like Manchin is, you know, you just mentioned the filibuster. It's like, do, do they not understand the United States history? The filibuster is not in the Constitution. Nope. It's a mechanism that was put in place to help racists be racist more easily. Um, I mean, not the only reason, but you know, preventing the tyranny of the majority or whatever. So now we're living under the tyranny of minority. um, And we are (laughs) forced to uh, kowtow to a guy who got like 200,000 votes and – seems not to understand the seriousness of, seriousness of the threat we face. As far as I'm concerned, if you were trying to negotiate with Republicans in the Senate, you are making common cause with fascists.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I, I agree 100 percent. For me, if I was if I were an elected official, I would be screaming Philip and the filibuster. We have to do that. And we have to pass the voting rights act. You do those two things. We're OK. You know, and, get, and and then because of that, get rid of the stupid electoral college. That is such a, again, when we're supposed to be a democracy, it's not even close to that. And now we're getting further and further away from it. And we're not doing anything about changing that trajectory. Um, and it would be Wait, easy like to finish, add, really.
0: add four seats to the Supreme Court.
1: There's that. There's that, too. Yeah.
0: At least three of them are illegitimate. It's just leveling the playing field. It's not packing anything. It's just making it fair. But. You know, I guess they're worried about offending people. It's, it's quite something. Republicans <laughs> will uh, offend you all day long they don't <laughs> uh, and do worse I remember reading and get a, away with it.
1: Yeah, I remember reading an article that because, because the Republicans were screaming about activist judges. This is like 15, 20 years ago. Activist judges, you know, they're always going too far on the left, blah, blah, blah. And then there was a group of people that actually did studies of all these cases the last 50 years of the judgments, and they actually found that the activist judges were the ones on the right, not on the left.
0: Always. And it's mm-hmm. like 99% of the people who commit voter fraud, which, by the way, yeah. happens like one out of a billion votes cast. There's that. They're all Republicans. Yeah, there is that. So, yeah, Voting for the dead you know. mother, uh, voting
1: twice, and the kids <laughs> voting, that's not of age. I know, it's just... And by, yep. by the way, it doesn't matter because there is so little of it that we don't give a damn. But uh, but remember, Donald was screaming about that it's rigged way before the first election in 2016. It's all rigged. It's rigged. It's rigged. He was sitting the trap
0: from the beginning. If, right. If he doesn't win, it's rigged. And even though he did, quote unquote, I mean, I don't think he won at all. But the fact that he got three million fewer votes suggest to him that it was rigged. Mm. It was all immigrants or something. I mean, he's not a well man um but (laughs) the fact that all of that has become not just fodder on the right but but sort of uh rules by which they're they're living um voter fraud which doesn't exist uh because he screamed about it so much in 2016 and in 2020 is the rationale for making it harder for people to vote (laughs) no (laughs) that's So we're not as,
1: fixing the problems. It's they may they may not make people vote, but they could, the voter fraud, if it existed, has, still hasn't been fixed. Uh, but the hypocrisy is what really bothers me. The other day, I was I'm driving and, and a guy passes me. I had to be doing 100 miles an hour, but he's got that flag in the back uh, that you know the police flag, the American flag with the blue stripe. Okay, you support the police, but you're going down the highway at 100 miles an hour. You know, okay, good to know. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, again, the rules either don't apply they to them apply or to them. they yeah. just don't exist. Um it might, one of the things I find very frustrating, and and I imagine this is very much true for you because you're somebody who has well, not always, because I think that might be overstating it a bit, but you know, you you have not controlled your destiny, but you have made very deliberate, mm-hmm. very difficult choices over the course of your life nope. to get what you wanted or to have what needed to happen in your mm-hmm. life happen. Uh, so to be in this situation now, which is frustrating for anybody on the left, but especially as somebody who has, has, over the course of your life and career, been able so often to make things happen what is it like just to be oh my god just watching this go by what can i or is there something we can do
1: well we need better people running for office uh i i i'm i'm involved here with getting people to register to vote and then of course try to get them more democratic but uh you know i'm doing a little part on a little bit on on my end here in in florida but it's uh you know, I have a family. I have two kids, and uh, and I have a life. And it's and and uh, quite frankly, I feel too old for this fight. I I wish the younger generation would get more involved because this is their future. You know, if the planet warms up, it's not going to affect me, but it's certainly going to affect them. And and they're they're not they're not paying enough attention. Oh, uh, they're like ah oh, politics. Who cares? It doesn't really matter. So. Uh, I, would, I wish we could make a better difference for the for the younger generation to pay more attention and and recognize the the gravity of of the situation and and make them more involved, if nothing else. How
0: how old are your daughters? Sixteen and twenty. Okay, I have a twenty year old daughter. Daughters are the best. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and. I, it's a little different because I, I uh, blame myself entirely for what my daughter is not exactly uh, into politics because it was very personal, <laughs> as you can imagine. So eh, things were a little rough in 2017, sure. shall we say. Um, <laughs> Family but, gatherings. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, step back a little bit. Kids that age, how, how – t- We've made things so hard for them, like, between school shootings mm. and climate change and now the political crisis in this country. And then, of course, we saddled them with a global pandemic because the uh, American government at that time decided that it was politically viable just to let people die mm-hmm. um, and make things worse. How I sometimes empathize with... Their, I don't think it's a lack of ent- interest. It's more of a like what are, they can't do. Any, they feel positive? like they're helpless.
1: Yeah, they can't do anything.
0: Yeah. So, like, why care? Because caring would just make everything harder.
1: Right. It's like playing playing tennis, uh, playing a match, and giving it everything you have, and then you still lose. It hurts like hell. So a lot of people they kind of bail during the match. They're like, oh, I don't really care, and they don't really try because if they, that's the that's Pushkin. Um, <laughs> If they really try hard and, and lose, it hurts a lot more than if you don't try. And maybe you kind of resign yourself to that fate. And it's like, oh, it's going to work out one way or the other. It's not really going to affect me. People only pay attention when it affects them personally, uh, whether it's uh, physically or emotionally or, or financially. Then they start paying yeah. attention. You know, If a member of their family gets uh, uh, Parkinson's disease, all of a sudden they start doing, raising money for Parkinson's because it affects them personally. So, oh, that's you know, so true. And, 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 and then you do, then you are kind of invested emotionally, and then you do more than, than you maybe needed to do uh, or, or, or thought that would ever do. But again, I think they, they figure it's going to be okay, and I can't really make a difference. So, why bother?
0: Yeah. Listen, when you're 20, it's very difficult. You know, 20-year-olds yeah. think they're immortal anyway, right? It's very difficult to think, oh, I mean, we're facing uh, extinction here. Right. So I better wrap my head around that. I, But I do agree with you. It's so important to get them engaged. And the question is, like, how do you get them engaged without freaking them out constantly? <laughs> you know, you, you need a carrot sometimes. You can't just keep using the stick of, you know, we're all going to die <laughs> if we don't do something. Um I, per- I feel so I, – I, guilty is the wrong word because it's not my fault, but I feel awful about what we've done collectively, hmm. the baby boomers and Gen X uh, to Gen Z. It's um, – but we need to solve that problem because that is the future right there. Uh, and like you said, though, It's exhausting. It's exhausting it's it's a constant fight and, you know, it sort of feels like you've been fighting your whole life and you got to this point, uh, where, you know, you, you, you leave your home to come to the United States. Uh, you renounce your citizen, you renounce your country. Um, I, it's hard to, I, it's impossible for me to imagine what that was like, how isolating, how terrifying left your family. Um, And then you came out, and at the time, that was all. It's not like that was in the 2000s. That was in the the early 80s. 40 years ago. 40 years ago when um, kids, it was not an easy thing to do uh, at all. Um, And risky, too, Mm -hmm. financially, uh, in terms of support, and all of that politically. And then, uh, was it? Five, six years ago, you proposed. Yeah. I saw your proposal. It was this beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> Thank you. you proposed to Julia. Yes. And uh, now you've been married for six years, is it? We
1: I proposed uh, was seven years ago in December. Seven years. And I, mean, oh, I proposed I was, during the US Open in, in September. Yes. And then we got married in December in New York because it wasn't legal in Florida. It finally became right. legal three weeks later when Pam Bondi decided to not... Um, uh challenged the the rulings uh so finally she she let go of that which was kind of say, I believe in the sanctity of of heterosexual marriage meantime she was married for the third time herself <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's always the way it works otherwise and that's something um
1: so I think yes. it's your so, fault that we, she got divorced three
0: times we've been Definitely. together and was your gay marriage and a half years now
1: and um, married for seven so yeah that was. Uh, was that was pretty special uh, I didn't think that was gonna happen same-sex marriage legal and it really surprised me how much of a difference I felt not being married to Julia as much mm-hmm. as the difference for what it meant for the family we, we now have right. legal protection and it right. just I didn't realize how much I missed it until I had it because you never thought about that possibility before and now that you right. have it, it's like oh my god! It was like a really big sigh of relief. It was almost like coming to another country, you know, because now we're now we're safe. And um, right. anyway, so it, it meant a lot to me, and uh, it was pretty pretty special. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's been this incredible journey, mm. you know. Now you guys are married. You're raising your kids in Florida. <laughs> so it's this um, really wonderful, uh, culmination of all of these things you fought for. So the arc of your story, it's just beautiful. And, um, what I, I just, I love this because it's so fuck. I mean, it's not normal because not, sorry. It's not like something that usually happens to people, but it's so normal in the sense that, your wife is on The Housewives of Miami. <laughs> so I fucking love that. Is that what it's called? I'm sorry. I'm not a real, real housewives house of
1: Miami. Yes, Real
0: housewives of Miami. Yeah. Like, how fucking cool is that? <laughs>
1: it's crazy. Like, I'm, I just, a friend of her invited her. She thought she was just going to be a friend of The Housewife, and then she ended up being one of The Housewives, and it's been crazy uh she got a lot busy for about three months when they were filming and we'll see if they pick it up and she'll do season number two but uh and if she gets she gets invited back but so far so good uh, it's three episodes out and yeah we uh i did i i was i was in a couple of those episodes and I, yeah, if you know me you know i've run away from cameras i don't i don't sh- i don't look for the spotlight at all so people are usually hugging the camera i'm like really, I need to put on makeup. Really, can I just do it? Just do a voice. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. I can do anyway,
1: uh, But it's been great. She's she's happy, and she, she has an amazing uh, set up an amazing uh, farm. On that, um, she has chickens and ducks, and we have geese. And and oh she gosh. had this vision, and she made it happen. And and um, and she got invited on the on the show, and now she's the first uh, out um, with, with the first gay gay couple on the show. There have been some gay, gay appearances, but nobody's been a housewife or a house husband. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool that uh, she she's become a pa- pioneer. When she, I think she had no idea what she was getting herself into when she fell in love with me. But uh, uh, anyhow, she's she's now a lesbian well, icon. <laughs> Go figure.
0: <laughs> I mean, God must have had some idea because you too are an icon. Of many different kinds of icons, oh, so thank you. you know, we've had some some glimpse, but even yeah. so, what's just it? We're talking about the uh, trauma of America, the, the dangers we're all facing, and yet at the same time, there's this incredibly inspiring idea that what you two are doing now is also very American mm. and how it's just, I don't know. I just gave myself chills. Mm. Um, because when, when in American history would that have been sort of a commonplace thing? Oh yeah. You know, Martina never told and her wife are doing housewives <laughs> of Miami. i It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I find it, it kind of,
1: it's, True, when you put it that way. I mean it's a it's a it's an it's a slice of Americana, isn't it? And uh, uh you know when the when the when the Berlin Wall came down and, and the Soviet Union fell apart, I'm like, yes, you know, the Cold War's over, we can relax and everybody's gonna be happy and democracy around the world. And then Obama got elected. I'm like, great, racism is done. <laughs> and here we are. And um and and then yet, so you kind of feel like you're losing America, but then, you know, Julia's part of the folklore of what America's all about. So yeah, but we, we have to keep hoping and we have to keep working and, um, and uh, fingers crossed that things will work out and do what we can, uh, you know. It's like recycling. Uh, you, don't, you, you don't feel like you're making a difference, but then you put all those bottles that you save in one year and it would fill up the house. And then right. imagine everybody doing that. So, it just we all right. do, do our part, and we'll be okay. But um, yeah, it's it's teetering. We're teetering.
0: And as somebody who's fought a lot, it it does feel like we're fighting the same fights over again. And you know, there's that sign that you often see at at women's marches. Like, I can't fucking believe I have to march for this stuff again. Right? I thought we were done with this. I thought we were. Done with you know anti-choice laws and and that level of institutionalized misogyny and racism and what have you and we're not and I think it's because we take so much for granted and maybe if nothing else we'll stop doing that.
1: Mm. I hope so. I hope so. I remember Michelangelo Signorile writing a book. Uh, when, when the same-sex marriage was passed, he says that this fight is just beginning. They're going to try to roll it back. He saw it coming, and same with the voting rights. It, they just keep rolling it back. Or, you know, it's like that little pebble, uh, that little drop that hits the rock, and eventually you're going to break that rock yep. if you keep hitting it with that little drop of water. And they just right. keep chiseling away, and um, and before you yeah. know it, you know, you, you got nothing left. So um yeah we just have to keep fighting um it's it's tiring but at the same time what is the what is the alternative right so
0: oh yeah i listen i'm not giving up until there's literally until i have to flee the country mm. which may happen mm. I, don't, I mean i'm not kidding i'm yeah. i think that's a possibility there. <laughs> uh yeah of course you do so and and that is that, that should motivate all of us. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that anybody should care if I have to leave the country, but that people will have to leave the country if things continue to go south. Uh, so there is no reason. I, I I have no patience with people who are like, "Oh, it's over." I'm like, no, it is if you say no, it. No, 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 no. no. It's really
1: but it's not by aware. any stretch. Yeah.
0: We have at least eleven months. Yeah. Um, but you just moved which is no matter what a wonderful thing it is like i just moved to a place i love i'm back in new york city it's still exhausting mm. and stressful uh so i know you have boxes and you have pets and you have kids and technical problems <laughs> it's i can't really to say i appreciate the fact you're here is is would be the understatement of the century you. i'm so grateful uh that you agreed to be here but i'm grateful that i had a chance to watch your career uh to um see what it's like when a powerful woman owns her power and and believes to her core that she can make a difference. Uh you know, I didn't have a lot of uh role models mm. when I was growing up. I know that's shocking. Um but having uh, people even again, even though you're not that much older, when you're a kid, mm. eight and eighteen, ten and twenty—that's a huge difference. So, um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you've accomplished what you've accomplished, both professionally and personally. And I'm I'm grateful that you're in the fight. Like we we all need to be in this fight together. And, Thank you.
1: Uh, I I appreciate your kind words, but I must say you you know you you inspire people too. You you are. You are a role model now for, for some younger ones. Uh, I, I read both your books and uh, we're in this fight together. So I am, you might be honored to have me, but I'm honored that you asked me. So I appreciate this and I can't wait to meet you in person. And all the for girls in sure. New York.
0: Oh, well, how fun would that be? <laughs> Two 20-year-olds, an 18-year-old and the three of us. <laughs> we would have so much fun. Martina Navratilova, the honor, honestly, is all mine. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Again, and let's stay in touch and uh, say hi to all of your many, many pets. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> and your kids and Julia, and stay safe down there, we'll do. please. Thanks. And now for one of my favorite parts of the show, I get to answer your questions. Uh, don't forget, you can email me every week at one word. The Mary Trump Show at politicon.com, and I'll get to as many questions as I can. Uh, first up this week is from Phil in Moscow, Idaho. I noticed a guitar at your place. I play too. What is your favorite type of music to play when you want to escape all the noise your uncle has caused all of us? Um, I'm sorry to say I'm not nearly as good a guitar player as I would like to be. However, Uh, My favorite kinds of music to play are folk and classic rock. Um, I would love to play blues and jazz, but they're way, way too hard for me. Um, So honestly, though, I think everybody should start. I didn't start playing guitar until I was in my late 30s. So it's never too late. We all need to do something creative to keep us sane in these fascinating times we're living through. Uh, from Alex in Edinburgh, Scotland, um, one of my favorite countries and one of my favorite cities in the UK, there will be an independent inquiry into the government's handling of the COVID crisis. There's also talk about a separate inquiry into the media's reporting of the crisis and whether they help stoke anti-vaccine feelings, creating further confusion instead of clarity. Do you think such an inquiry would ever work or be authorized in the US? Uh, no, (laughs) I don't, um, the um I actually this came up a couple of weeks ago with my friend Joyce Vance. Um I was suggesting that uh Fox hosts like Laura Ingraham and Sean Hannity, who were on the phone on January 6th, clearly um aware of the insurrection beforehand and and clearly wanting to have some influence in in how Donald responded during the crisis. Um, And I'm pretty certain they weren't uh, talking, making those phone calls in their role as quote unquote journalists. I also don't think they are journalists, but as Joyce made very clear, um, you have to treat them as such. Uh, and it's it's a slippery slope when you start questioning the media in that way. So I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, well, I think it's uh, like near impossible that any such inquiry would be set up here. Although I'd like to think that uh, news outlets would perform their own kind of postmortem and have their own reckoning, especially the New York Times and CNN. But... Um, Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen either. From Kathy, she asks, I wonder why anti-abortion legislators never get questioned about the sex education or other programs their states have in place to help girls and women avoid unwanted pregnancies off the bat. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a huge missing piece of this. Um, Anti-choice legislators only talk about... uh, the you know the cells uh the blastocysts um they never talk about um anything that helps women from getting pregnant uh i guess the assumption on their part is because that's just encouraging girls and women to have sex and we can't have that now can we But if you were really somebody who's anti-abortion, you would think that you would do everything in your power to prevent unwanted pregnancies. So it's just more hypocrisy, I think, by talking about things like making uh, birth control free and easily accessible and um, teaching girls and, and boys sex education in a way that's really relevant to their lives and helps empower them. And, uh, I, that's not on their agenda, their agenda as we've seen in Texas and as we've seen with some, some Supreme court rulings and the way the Supreme court is, or the, the six Republican justices on the Supreme court, how they're handling the Mississippi abortion case. Um, this is about, uh, whether or not women are equal Citizens in America, and I don't think I don't think that they believe that women are. And Texas, the SBA ruling in Texas has made it clear that at least in Texas, women are second-class citizens. Keenan in Wilmington, Dem- Delaware, asks, "What is your opinion of COVID-19 vaccine mandates for public school teachers and children?" Yes, 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 yes. I believe in vaccine mandates for any kind of communicable disease that could result in getting a lot of people sick or a lot of people dead. Um, And this, this shouldn't even be, this shouldn't even be a question. You cannot go to kindergarten without having gotten your measles, mumps and rubella shot. I don't see people complaining about that. You know, you have to have your tetanus shot. Uh, you, You have to, in some cases have a flu shot. So, COVID, uh, the COVID vaccine should be absolutely no different. Um, it's quite disappointing that some courts have, have knocked down president Biden's vaccine mandates um, for companies with, I guess, more than a hundred employees. Uh, it shouldn't even be a political decision, much like abortion. It's a medical decision. And um, it's a little unnerving that medical decisions are increasingly being left in the hands of uh non, uh, you know, insurance companies and um, judges. But yes, vaccines all the way. Everybody should get vaccinated and get your booster shot and wear your mask. From Susie in Wisconsin, politicians in the Wisconsin legislature are pulling against a challenge to the Biden presidency using Wisconsin taxpayers' funds. I'm seriously considering withholding sending in my Wisconsin state taxes for 2021 when they come due in January 2022. I'd love to get your take on this extreme political protest. I'm all for political protest, but that will just get you in trouble. Um, you know, I think the only way to uh, av- avoid having to pay taxes in this country is if you're really, really rich. Um, the only way for something like that to work is to make to make it a really coordinated effort with many, 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 many people. Uh, so I mean that might be worth putting together, but um, you know as as valu- valuable as it is to protest and and make your voice heard I, I worry that that would just get you in trouble so please please uh, pay your taxes and um, hopefully we will figure out another way to fight that fight <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Mary Trump Show with me, Mary Trump, and some of my favorite people at the intersection of politics, activism, and culture. Please send me your questions for next week's show via email to all one word, the at Politicon.com, or look for the address in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Follow The Mary Trump Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please give us a five-star rating because it really helps other people find the show. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.